Father, thank you that we have you. We have your faithfulness in our midst today. Uh, Grateful, Lord, that I could be among friends today, and we are exploring uh, Advent, familiar text. Uh, Bring a fresh um, look at it. Uh, Give us um, new wind in our sails when it comes to um, uh, your good news. And may you uh, receive uh, receive our worship as we respond in in this week. Uh, grateful, Lord, for the chance to be um, to be uh, in Your Word as we look at it. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I've been encouraged by these folks who are sitting next to me, my daughter here and Marianne. Don't worry about the time. Don't worry about the time. They both. Through the witness of two witnesses, I have been confirmed here to to preach away. Um, I'm not too worried about the time if you aren't. So, all right, Luke chapter two. We're going to look at this uh, one more time. The shepherds are the focus. Uh, verse fourteen is the primary focus, but we'll get down uh, to verse twenty, where the shepherds are glorifying and praising God. I uh, came to faith when I was nineteen. Um, and was part of, for about nine years, what would be um, described, and I don't mean to cast aspersions on a group, but uh, what would be described as a, a fundamentalist group, a fundamentalism, Christian, uh, American fundamentalism in particular, and that would be fun to talk about what that means. But there's a lot of focus on um, a separated life, which is a good, a good thing. Uh, we are to be different than the world. Um, a lot of well-meaning, uh, Jesus-loving people uh, who are concerned about certain things. Um, but I was involved with the, the, the students, uh, teenagers at the time. And when you're around teenagers, you know they want to have fun. You want to know that they, you know that they want to be um, living life to its fullest. And so you'd have this sort of contrast. Uh, these kids who were hip and onto things like. MTV and cool British bands are into some really fun things and wacky things, and and then we'd have church service. Well, um, we would sing a little bit about joy and a little bit about happiness and a little bit about those things, but it was it was kind of a disconnect. It was sort of a I, I'm with these teenagers and they want to have uh, they want to be happy. And, and then the, the, the message is, watch out for the world. Watch out for the world. The world is the source of all, that, all the trouble. And I was, kind of, I was trying to kind of put this all together, and, um, and a marvelous thing happened. A marvelous thing happened. It came in the form of a book. It came in the form of a book. And the book just un, un, uh, rolled out, a press by Multnomah Press, and it didn't have a lot of fanfare, but pastors in particular started picking it up. And uh, it was entitled, uh, The Pleasures of God, The Pleasures of God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. Whoa, 1989. And then it, it, it was not only collected by pastors, it, it just kind of kept going. It slowly was creating this rolling effect, and it kept going, and second edition, and, and third editions, and fourth edition. That's a big deal for a book, by the way, particularly Christian books, which, which uh, you know, it's hard to have sort of a classic Christian book in our day when there's just hundreds being produced. Well, 
The, the Pleasures of God was, a, was an incredible book uh, where uh, John Piper, the author, who comes, uh, it would be fair to say, comes out of fundamentalist gr uh, background groups, talking openly about finding pleasure in God. In fact, it's not just sort of a, a side a byproduct, but pleasure in God is actually the central quest of the Christian life. It's not just, as you Presbyterians say, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, Piper says, hey, good, good, uh, good run at that, you Presbyterians, but I'm going to better you on this one. And this is, it goes like this. It says, uh, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And that one word, it makes all the difference. So at least Piper, who is in the tradition of Jonathan Edwards, writing about, of course you've been made for pleasure. Of course you've been made for God. And uh, so the point of all of this is to say that as, the, as Advent uh, uh, unfolds, we begin to see that heaven has uh, an understanding of this for human hearts. Heaven is convinced that human hearts need renovation and to be lifted out of their misery and the, the curse that came through Adam. And one of the central byproducts, one of the central things, is to restore the joy of God in the human, in the human heart. One of the effects of the fall, I think of uh, Genesis chapter 3, one of the effects of the fall is suspicion toward God, suspicion toward God. This is what Satan was effectively able to produce in the human heart. And that is, has God, uh, how's this work here? And, uh, and the one tree that really actually gives you the, the pleasure, the one tree that gives you, opens your eyes and, and lets you be a human being, that's kind of this message, the one tree you can't partake in? I mean, uh, doesn't that tell you something about God? Yeah, he, he withholds the best from you, right? You follow me. That's the subtext there. So, so one of the effects of the fall has been suspicion of, of God. And, uh, and as we look at the, the Advent texts, there, heaven is, is crying out. Heaven is, is, is cr uh, singing with choirs. Heaven is declaring with angelic hosts. It's not that way at all. And to know God is the greatest delight and pleasure of the human heart. So... Um, let us now then pursue meditations of a Christian hedonist. Let's do that. Let's do that. Because I think we have been made for God and our hearts are to be set aflame, to be set ablaze, our souls to be uh, just ignited with, with love for God. Now, these shepherds, I like these shepherds a lot. I always like watching uh, living manger scenes. You like watching living manger scenes? I I always look at the shepherds. I go, yeah, they look like, yeah, they did pretty good on the shepherd outfit there. Uh, I don't know what I, I know the king, the, the, the wise men uh, come from the east, and I, I know they're dressed in royal robes, but I always like looking at the shepherds. And the shepherds never say anything, right, in those manger scenes. Or they, they, don't, they don't have any speaking parts. They're kind of like in a Shakespearean play. They hold a spear on stage, right, you know, just in the back there. They don't do a lot. But, but I like them because... Uh, they they are kind of they become central in the story for for at least a moment for for about ten Bible verses the shepherds take center stage that's kind of neat um, and um, and and they're filled with with delight toward the end of of Luke's passage here the shepherds 
are just out at night. And they're, they're loners. They're going to be loners. They're not well-received in towns, probably. They're, they're kind of these, you know, solo ranchers. And they, they hang out away from the crowds. And heaven speaks to them. Heaven displays glory to them. And I just have a simple outline. Heaven dis- says something to them. Heaven says it's about glory, verse 14. Heaven says it's about peace, verse 14. And heaven says it's about hearing, hearing and seeing. It's about glory. It's about glory. Uh, shepherds are, are just like you and I. Uh, they, they have dreams. They have hopes. They have needs, struggles, problems. They have things that they, in their lives they wish were fixed, disappointments. They're really pretty regular guys. Uh, don't they have daydreams? I think they have daydreams. Or at night, maybe night dreams as they're standing out there and watching their flocks by night. But a daydream is really where we live, isn't it? Where something glorious happens to us. We're usually in the center of our daydream. Finally, people esteem us at work. Uh, Finally, we get that promotion we're looking for. Finally, life is working for us. We achieve something. We acquire something. A daydream. Uh, Take note of your daydreams. That's probably more clearly uh, what you you want out of life than anything else. They had daydreams. And then this glorious picture, this glorious display of God's glory, the, the angelic host appear to them and, and uh, singing or saying, glory to God in the highest. Uh, Mary Ann, uh, my wife, is a flight attendant for United Airlines, and uh, she did domestic flights uh, years ago. She's not a big fan of domestic flights. She likes international flights, the big long ones. But uh, she did domestic flights years ago to, to Las Vegas. And the Las Vegas flights, she said, were filled with people very animated. They had a lot of anticipation. They were going to Vegas. They were noisy flights, people already partying. Uh, People on the way to uh, Vegas are daydreaming, aren't they? They are ready to go. They're going to take the house to the cleaners this time. And uh, they were filled with glorious thoughts. The flights away from Vegas are very different. (laughs) The flights flying away are quiet. No one took the house to the cleaners. And the daydream is crushed. For these uh, shepherds, they're like you and I. They want to have, I don't know, some extra cash, sell off some sheep, sell off some wool, something for their kids. They want to they experience something good in life, maybe even something glorious, something wonderful. But they're stuck with these slow-moving animals that are dirty and not very bright. And again, they're sort of loners out there on the hill. I'm going to suggest that the shepherds are, have been set up by their conditions in life, by their heart meditations. I'm, I'm going to uh, suggest that they... They are poor in spirit. I'm going to suggest that they didn't have a lot of of pride in their lives. We don't know this for sure, but I'm going to suggest that they they were lowly. They were not really city guys, city folk. 
They weren't invited to the fancy cocktail parties. Uh, life for them was quiet. Perhaps they held their heads down. And to these, God displays an incredible display of his glory to these who were not likely admiring themselves. This passage communicates what it's like to listen to God, to be, to be receivers. It's where God has used a humble framework in the heart and he's set up the ability to listen. Heaven, through Advent, seeks an, uh, an ability uh, for us to, to listen, to learn what heaven is saying. The, the shepherds don't have a lot of props in life to make them look good. Um, they may have said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, in their hearts. Uh, they don't have a lot of things to say, well, this and this alone makes me okay. And I, um, I wonder to what extent we are saying that uh, as we enter in Advent, that we are still working hard to make life work for us when we hear this display of glory in, in Luke 2. Um, we, we need to be honest with ourselves that to glorify God and to seek God's glory and to love God's glory is actually not how we were born into this world. Uh, we have enough glory-seeking mechanisms within us uh, to occupy our lives for the entirety of our life. We are actively resisting the glory of God. Romans 3.23 is one of the most well-memorized Bible verses in Christian circles. Uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's interesting that that text, actually, the original says, for all have sinned and continue to fall short of the glory of God. That means that our hearts are not yet fully what they ought to be, even as Christians. And so it is about glory. It is about glory. It is about the human heart being set aflame uh, for, for, for the one for whom we've been made. <clears throat> We are to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And heaven's first word to us in the shepherd's story is, it is about glory. It's also about peace. And it's a beautiful thing that uh, the, the angelic host described this. And peace, of course, is described for us in the New Testament. We know much more about how peace will come to the world. And uh, Christ is born, and then he will grow and demonstrate himself to be the Messiah. And peace is his ultimate mission, peace between the offended God and the offender man. And Romans is a beautiful passage, a place to look. Romans 1 through 4 would be a good place to read, at telling about how man has, has violated uh, all of God's law, has committed cosmic treason, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God, Romans 3, 9. And Romans 4 begins to describe how God has given a way for peace to be experienced, and that is through faith. And God receives faith looking to God as Savior, 
David and Abraham come up in, Ab in Romans 4. David and Abraham come in, into the, uh, as examples of those who, by faith, were justified, declared righteous before a holy God. And then Romans 5.1, the Apostle Paul drives this home to his Roman audience. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so we, who are the recipients of the, of the whole New Testament, much more than the shepherds ever, ever enjoyed or had, we are the, the recipients of, of how God has worked to bring peace between ourselves and himself. We think of God arriving and John the Baptist, uh, the forerunner, the prophet before Jesus, was more than convinced that it was the day of judgment. Surprise, surprise. Mercy will be uh, God's expression upon the world much longer and for a greater amount of time. How many millennium will go on? How many, how many years? We don't know. But God has decided that through his son he will forbear with the world. He will extend mercy and he will forestall judgment day. Heaven says it's about peace. One of, the, one of the great theologians of the last hundred years is a Scottish man named John Murray. And John Murray is the one who talked about, in one of his books, he talks about that when a person grasps mercy and they really get it, they really get that they deserve justice and they, you know, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner, their, their, their heart is cast down the good news is almost too good. They really believe themselves to be a sinner. They really, really get that. John Murray's the one who said that that deep work of, uh, of self-reflection, that deep work of, oh, wow, I am really busted. That deep work, when it's connected to the, to the good news, he described it as the dynamic the dynamic, that it, when those two things are working, a deep sense of, of sorrow, repentance, deep, and a, a grasp of, it's really, really true, I'm received, they become dynamic. They are, there's something about them that you can see it with them. There's a power to them. There's a, there's a way of being about these people. And it comes with these two things, these two aspects, a deep understanding of the mercy of God toward them as a sinner, the dynamic. Saul of Tarsus is a great example of this. Convinced that he didn't belong in the company of, of the apostles. Who, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I, I was a persecutor of the church. You can hear him reflect, this can't be possible. How can this be real? How, how can I be, the mercy of God can only go so far. I mean, if you persecute the church, that, the mercy of God stops there. But it doesn't. And he was loved deep, 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 deep down as a self-righteous religious person. He was an angry, vindictive person. Uh, and something is working like the dynamic in him, right? 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 
the shepherds are about to, to move off the scene here. That they don't have a, lo- a lot of time on stage. But I'm going to suggest to you that when they heard this angelic presentation, their hearts leapt. Why? Because they didn't imagine that they could ever be the recipients of such a glorious announcement. Others certainly might be the recipients of this announcement. They are more righteous than us. Oh, they've earned God's, God's favor, right? No, the favor of God comes because God is, is merciful. And so let's explore that. Just let's think about that. Have you think about the dynamic in your life? Not that we are just groveling constantly about our sin, but we're, we're working that through. That we would say more and more to our hearts, this can't be. I'm invited to a party I don't belong at. I'm invited. I, I'm in on something, some extraordinary news that I just, it's just, I, I, I'm stunned again and again. Let's not re- underestimate the need to be re-astonished. Uh, by the way, there's probably no one I know of who works harder at being re-astonished in the gospel than Scotty Smith, who is coming here in January. What a delight to have him. So heaven says it's about glory. Heaven says it's about peace. And heaven says it's about hearing and seeing. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Luke is a historian. Uh, He is writing his two-volume set, uh, Luke and Acts, Acts, the history book of the Bible, of the New Testament. And um, Luke is uh, setting up, um, this is all factual, uh, this is all true, this is historical and reliable, and that, that little line there, as it had been told them. Uh, God is going to speak, and God is going to act in history, and it's going to be true. So, um, they are well-informed, and their heart is now joyful. They see the Christ child. And, of course, we, uh, we are hearing, and, again, we are seeing spiritually much more than the, deci- uh, the, the shepherds saw, though they saw something marvelous. That's no, no without a doubt. But we are hearing the whole counsel of God. We are hearing much more about the wonder of Christ as, uh, as our New Testament unfolds, as you're involved in church life, you're hearing more and more about Jesus, who is this incredible diamond, and you get more and more angles on him, more and more perspectives on him. This is, this, we can't uh, get to the bottom of these, the depths of Jesus and his loveliness. And this is for our freedom. There's a, there's a beautiful kind of a, uh, they're just sort of, you get a sense of that the, the shepherds are free. They're, they're glorifying and, and they're, they're, they're unhindered. Um, they're, they're praising God. They're, they, found, they found some kind of freedom. One more time on the Vegas uh, illustration. Um, Marianne also said that really what was, what was so animating about the, the Vegas flight on the way there was that people, people were finally going to get free. They're finally going to bust loose. They're finally going to be what they want to be. And uh, 
It even included sneaking alcohol onto the plane, which they had to monitor. What it meant was Vegas, Vegas meant it had a symbolic power. It was a place of freedom. And Vegas says, come on in. <laughs> Bring it in. Come on in. Uh, does anyone ever experience freedom in Vegas? Um, does anyone ever fully become a human being by being there? What I want to say is that, again, it's this praising and glorifying and sort of this hop-skipping happiness that overcomes the shepherds, and it comes by hearing the angelic choir and believing, and now something has crept into them. Uh, It is enjoying God. So Luke is essentially communicating this key thought. This is what it looks like when people understand the good news. This is what it looks like when people perceive and rightly understand Jesus Christ. And what happens in the unfolding of the New Testament is, particularly in the book of Acts, we see that Luke is going to continue this theme. Some people will hear the good news and they will mock, and their eyes will be closed and their ears will be shut. Sadly, this would be many of the Jews that Paul the apostles would encounter. But surprisingly, surprisingly, those who had no religious education, no Old Testament background, no, no sense that they, they could uh, take pride in themselves. Surprisingly, the, those who respond with praise and those who glorify God are the Gentiles. Those who think that they have been forgotten or uh, no longer on, on, on God's uh, in God's viewpoint or God's radar, they, they, they think they, they, they're just not included in, in any plan. They are the ones who respond with, with great praise. So what does it look like to respond rightly to the gospel? It has a great deal to do with our hearts being freed to praise him. I, I work at this. This is a, a struggle, struggle for me. There's something freeing about these shepherds. They, uh, I don't know, what are the demands they have upon life? Um, How should life be ordered for them? Boy, they just seem so free. Um, I find myself thinking a lot about how I connect my joy and my contentment with my actions. In other words, if I can manage my life well enough, if I can control my life well, um, I, I will attach myself then to a certain outcome, All right? So um, I think I am directly involved with the results that should come from my actions, right? But the shepherds are focused on the actions of God. The shepherds are not all focused on themselves, but what God affects, And they have found great freedom and joy in what God affects. 
So my final thought for us is this, and it comes from a jazz violinist. The jazz violinist who says this, he says, we play freely when we have nothing to gain and nothing to lose. Can you imagine a musician in front of a bunch of people? And this is what this particular person is thinking, that you play most freely when you're not thinking about what you can gain or lose. I guess this might be true for jazz people, right? He says, I am not in the business, excuse me, I am not in the music business. I'm in the surrender business. Surrender means cultivating a comfortable attitude toward not knowing. Now, you all have a sense of jazz, right? And the musicians can, can go, and there's a lot of freedom there in some, some forms of jazz, right? So that's what he's talking about. I'm not in the music business. I'm in the surrender business. And there's something about the way he has to let it go and let, let, the, let the, the music flow through him and to not be so conscious about how the result will be, but just to let it happen. I'm in the surrender business. I, I think, I think that's one of the key messages coming from the shepherds. They, they have no demands. They, they, have, they have no voice in this, and they, they, they just surrender to it. The glory has appeared to them. The glory from heaven, heaven speaks, and they go and investigate. It's true, and they surrender to the beauty of who God is. They're glorifying God by enjoying him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you would instill in us that surrender, that surrender. There's something peaceful about these shepherds. There's something that they they know. I ask you would uh, just restore that wonder to us. Uh, Many many things that are on our hearts today. Help us to not try to affect the outcome, to be at peace with the one who and who alone makes the ultimate impact on this world, and the outcome is is awesome. Thank you for sending your son. In his name we pray. Amen.